But I want to share with you this morning on the subject needed fathers with turned hearts. Fathers with turned hearts. You say, what in the world is a turned heart? Well, if you'll turn to Malachi, the fourth chapter, I'll show you what a turned heart is. The last prophecy of the Old Testament given talks about fathers with turned hearts. While you're turning to Malachi, the fourth chapter, I want to read to you something that I wrote down. It's not, not that profound, but it's something that I have as a conviction of my own heart. Scripturally speaking, the ideal home is where the father loves, respects, and protects his wife regardless of her conduct, and the wife loves, respects, and obeys her husband regardless of his conduct, a home where both the husband and wife develop and manifest that deep love and respect while together they lovingly and consistently instill in their children biblical, practical principles to operate by on a daily basis. Totally dissatisfied until they see established within those children strong faith, Christian character, and godly convictions. May I say, these conditions are virtually unknown in many Christian homes today. This is why the church is in all the trouble that it's in. Malachi, the fourth chapter, in the last two verses, says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, I want you to notice the emphasis that the Lord puts on it as how important it is that the hearts of the father be turned to the children and the hearts of the children be turned to their father. God says, if that doesn't happen, then I'm going to curse the earth. It's so important that we have strong, strong families. And uh, I, I, I know I speak on this an awful lot, but I, I feel like the preacher said, I'm going to keep preaching on it until I see it happen. I'm going to see, preach the same message over and over again until I see it happen. And today, the problem is in most homes with most families, and not just talking about unbelievers, I'm talking about even in many believers' homes today, is the fathers become an absent individual when it comes to taking the responsibility of caring for the family and instructing them in the ways and the things of the Lord, or they become so preoccupied with their own things that they want to do and their own goals and their own principles and their own uh, desires that they're totally taken up with their toys and their businesses and their meetings and their work and their sports and their uh, uh, hobbies and themselves. They feel that it's important that they have their own. I mean, I never got to do what I wanted to do when I was young. Now I'm going to do what I want to do. There are those that abdicate the responsibility that God has given to fathers over to the, parent, to the mothers. And I want to tell you something that does not shift the responsibility in God's sight. I'm not saying this to criticize fathers. I want to instruct you concerning God's word. What God's word says is the responsibility of a father, the privileges of a father, when I speak of responsibility, I want you to know that God privileged man to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ on the earth. The angels could have done it in a moment, but he has committed it to the foolishness of preaching. God could have uh, worked a miracle to cause the children to be what they're supposed to, but he gave the privilege to the parents, especially the fathers, to raise up the children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Now, I just want to clarify again, and I'm defending my position again, there are 80, let's see, what is it, 8,760 hours in a year. 
Of that 8,760 hours, 1,700 of them are spent in classrooms. In case you young people are wondering why you get tired of sitting in classrooms, 1,700 a year. At the most, 150 hours a year are spent by most Christian young people in church a year. And of that, about 60 to maybe 100 hours of that is spent in being instructed in the Word of God. And I just want to make that clear to you. Out of 8,760 hours a, a year, the church for that year has the children in instruction at the most, 60 to 100 hours a year. So, fathers, you can't blame the church because they're not doing what God expects the fathers to do. The vast majority of the hours the children have today are at home. I would to God that we could develop a father who would be as faithful in teaching the children as the TV sets are. And if the fathers would spend as many hours a day as children spend with TV, with their TV sets on, we would have different families and we'd have a different nation, let me assure you. The Scripture says that man begets life. Now, whenever you read in the Scripture, it says Isaac began, begat, uh, Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat, and right on It doesn't say Sarah begat such and such. It says Ad, uh, Abraham begat Isaac. Why is that? Because the blood is in, the, the blood that the child receives is their father's blood. There is no blood. The life is in the blood, and the blood comes to the, from the father to the child. Now, if you want to get into the, your medical books and dig this out, you'll find out this is true, that the, the blood that the child has, even in the womb, is not the mother's blood. They're never crossed. They never touch each other. It has a totally different uh, circulatory system from the mother. The blood and the life comes from the father, and consequently, God says that the sins of the fathers are passed on to the third and fourth generation. Why? Because the, the sin that is within the father is passed on to the children. So, fathers, if you have difficulty with your children, realize where they got it. And you should be a little more sympathetic, a little more uh, committed, and determined that by the grace of God you will not allow them to go through what you had to go through when you were a child. Someone was saying the other day, oh, if my mother's words had not come true, she said, whatever you do now, it's going to come back to you multiple fold when you have children. And she said, oh, it has. I said, but the thing you must remember also is whatever you teach your children in righteousness will also come back to you multiplied. So it behooves us to preach those things and teach those things to our children, which we ought. And God has placed on the parents and especially the fathers to take that responsibility. Would you turn with me, first of all, to Proverbs, the 22nd chapter? Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. God says to the parents, you do the training. I won't get into all the Hebrew and all the background. I've done that before. But in Ephesians 6, 4, this same theme is carried over. Ephesians, the 6th chapter and the 4th verse it says, and ye mothers, provoke not your children to wrath. Ephesians 6, 4. You see that? Isn't it interesting that God said it to the fathers and not to the mothers? And it says, ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up. Who does this? Bring them up. Fathers, you bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, I look back to find out what the meaning of those two words, nurture and admonition, really are. And in the Greek, it means training, education, discipline, and correction. 
Fathers, God's saying in His Word, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't aggravate them, but bring them up, train them, educate them, discipline them, and correct them. That's the nurture. Admonition means to be warning them, to be admonishing them, to be reproving them. How? In the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God has placed the responsibility of the father in the home to be the provider. And when I say provider, I'm talking about food, shelter, clothing, education. Yes. I know that you say, well, my mother helps with that. She should help with that. But God puts the responsibility upon the fathers to see to it that this is accomplished within each home. God said to Abraham, I've chosen you because I know that you will raise up your children. I know that you will be responsible for your children. And he called him as the father of all faith. Now, also it talks about not just when we, the husband is to train them up or bring them up. It's talking about moral understanding. It is the father that can implant within the hearts of the young people, the children in that home, the standards of honesty, the standards of integrity, the, the, the understanding of being responsible as a young person. I am absolutely shocked and appalled at times when I see the slovenly way many children today look at work. I mean, I've seen young people go into nice homes and take a, a, a cup, a drink or something, and set it right on nice furniture. I've seen them fly through the air and land on people's nice furniture. I've seen them put their feet up on people's furniture. I've seen them walk out and leave a room in a total mess and say, had a good time, not thank you, really appreciate this. I mean, total irresponsible. Now, let me tell you something. That's not the child's fault. At home, God says, you're to nurture them. You're to teach them how to have good manners. You're to teach them how to be respectful of authority. You're to teach them how to care for other people's things. He said, well, I just let them kind of do their own thing in my house. Don't ever let them do their own thing in their house because if God ever blesses them and brings them up to a place where they could minister to other people, they'll look as, as slovenly as a dog in, a, in an alley if they don't know how they're supposed to conduct themselves when they're sitting in And by the way, you know, one of the problems today, fathers, as we sit all of our meals and a lot of times sit and stare at that, that one-eyed monster while we're eating on trays or on our lap or whatever, and most children have no idea why all these forks and spoons are there. And let me tell you, the time's going to come when they're going sit to be sitting someplace as a witness for the Lord, and they're going to have about four or five uh, spoons and knives on this side and three or four forks on this side and stuff across the top, and they'll think, hey, take all this stuff back. All I need is this spoon, you know? They need to be taught these things that they might grow up to be able to be brought right before royalty and not have to be ashamed. Now, let me ask you something. If you don't do it, who's going to do it? I'm not. Their job, their, their teachers at school are not going to do it. It's not their responsibility. If they go out and don't understand, one of these days they'll say, why didn't mom, dad teach me these things? I'm embarrassed. When I talk about integrity and honesty, you don't have to sit down with your children and say, now look, be honest, have integrity, just let them watch you. They'll catch more than they have to ever have to learn. They'll just catch it as they watch you. You know that? Oh, wait a minute, you gave me too much money here, I want to give this back to you. And they'll say, why'd you do that? Because the Bible says, let him that stole steal no more. Honey, we should never steal from someone else. In fact, we should be giving and not stealing. Oh. I've told you of occasion when my dad used to take me back, march me right back into the store and say, I want you to know my son took this and I want you, and I'll deal with him when I get him home, but first of all, he's going to pay you for what he did and he's going to have to pay it back later on to me and he'll also be punished. And boy, let me tell you something, I remembered that. Now, my neighbor down the street didn't do that for me. My dad had to do that for me and he wasn't even a professing believer. 
But those things will, be, will never be forgotten when you establish those principles within the home. Thirdly, physical. Teaching them concerning the physical things. First of all, hygiene. I'll tell you, there's nothing... I, I still remember when I was a, a young person, I told you we had a number three tub in our kitchen every Sunday night we would get in there and have... Of course, I was the youngest, so I was always last, and my two sisters got a bath. And you say, oh, how could you do that? Well, you just did what you could do in that day when you had to heat the water on a kerosene stove and you didn't have any extra hot water and you didn't have much money for kerosene. We took baths like that and I would cry and yell and scream and everything else about having to get into that tub last. But consequently, I didn't scrub my knees as I ought to and my dad didn't check them out every day. And I went to school one day, I remember, and I got into gym class and somebody said, hey, Joe, look at your knees, they're all dirty. I was humiliated. And I just thought to myself, you know, if... If somebody would have just stopped me when I was young, if somebody would have said, hey, take care of this. You know, how many of you have seen children when they wash, you can see right where they washed, you know, right in the very front, and they get the tips of their fingers washed off a little bit, and from here on up it's grimy, you know. You know, that, they'll always do that, but who's going to teach them differently? I don't know about you, but I can still remember how my dad taught me how to wash my face. He would say, if you don't wash it, I will, and he never wrung out the cloth. He would slop water all over me and drip it all down. I'd say, don't do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And he said, well, either you do it or I'll do it. When I do it, you'll know it's been done. He'd scour my neck and my ears and everything else. If you miss it, I'll come and get it. And I, worse than that. Now, some of you young people don't understand. My daddy used to smoke cigars. And if he saw dirt on my face, he'd reach for a handkerchief and like it, he'd, I'd say, no, not that stinky tobacco all over my face. He said, if you don't stay clean, I'll do it for you. Well, my neighbor down the street wouldn't do it for me. But I want to tell you, I'm so thankful. My mother, even though we didn't have nice facilities, every morning before she went to work would go in the kitchen and close the door, and we didn't have running water in the house unless I was in a hurry. We, she would take a bucket of water and put some in a tea kettle and pour it in a little basin in the sink, and she would take a sponge bath every morning before she went to work. I mean, constantly tried to keep herself very, very clean and always emphasized that to me. I'll tell you, it has much to do with the testimony that you'll have for Jesus Christ, that you teach your children hygiene and manners and dress standards. You know, I am amazed when I see parents today allowing the fashion world to teach our children how they're supposed to dress. The Word of God says we're to dress modestly, we're to dress neatly, we're to dress in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, that, that does not have, when I see parents allowing children to wear clothes that identify them with, with rebellious groups, rebellious parts of our society, I'm amazed. When I see them wearing what is supposed to be underclothes for outer clothes, I say, where are you getting your standards? Where are you getting your standards? When I see young ladies and adult women wearing clothes that are not modest at all, they're obscene when they sit down. I say, where are you getting your standards? Mom and Dad, if they don't get those standards from you, they're not going to get them from the world. They're not going to get them from the school. They're not going to get them from television. They're not going to teach them the proper way to dress. We have to find out what the Word of God says and dress accordingly. I am so grateful that there was never a time in all the years that I was married to the young lady I was married to that I ever had to be ashamed of the way she dressed. She dressed like a lady. That did not mean that she had to have stuff clear up to here and clear down to here and all the way to her ankles. It meant she dressed like a lady. Moms are not going to learn how to dress like a lady. And let me tell you, I know that a lot of times the dad will say, you want to wear that tonight? 
Now, what's wrong with this? And then mom will step in and say, yeah, what's wrong with that? I mean, after all, just because it comes halfway down to her knees, what's wrong with that? I mean, you know, dads have a better idea of what girls should wear if they have a godly understanding at all, a lot of times moms than we do, because they know how men respond when they see women. Men respond to sight. Women respond to feeling, to touch. And I want you to know that God expects the father to have a voice in how the young lady dresses in the home. You know I could spend an hour on that one subject right there because there's a lot of division where parents are divided and they argue and then the kids have got you right where they want them, won't you? Once they know they've got you divided, they've got you right where they want you and they'll do what they want to do. Then also in the area of spiritual, first of all, salvation. At the earliest possible age, mom and dad, you should be praying every day that you can lead your children to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not just do you believe in Jesus, honey, will you give your whole life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you let him rule and reign in your life? Will you let him have complete control of your life in the days ahead? Why don't you just tell Jesus to come in and take over your whole life? They're not going to get that just in Sunday school. They may get it in Sunday school, but what a thrill it is for you or me to be able to have that privilege of kneeling by the side of the bed with our little ones and personally leading them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not just salvation, but submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ totally. And to begin to say, honey, I want you to be praying, and we'll be praying with you to see what God's calling for your life might be. God's given you gifts and talents and abilities in the days ahead, and, and we're going to pray with you that you'll know the calling of God for your life. You see, your life is not your own. The Lord gave you that life and He gave you, you to us to raise you in the fear and admonition of the Lord and to direct your life to find God's perfect will for your life. And we're going to be praying with you that you'll know the will of God for your life. We need to come to the place, dads, where we say, as for me, and for me, as for me, first of all, and for my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, it's one thing to say that, but if you do not have the respect and the following of your family, it doesn't do you any good to say that. And that's the thing I want you to understand. The Scripture says you're to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And the Father's responsibility is to assume, now I didn't say take, I said assume the authority within the home. The minute I say that, there will be some why a husband will say, my wife won't let me, or my children won't respond to me. Every time I take authority, my wife stomps all over me and just tells me to back off. And you're not going to... Well, first of all, let me say, let's step back and go to your sweetheart and say, I have failed in the past. First of all, because I have not respected you as I ought and I have not shared with you the convictions the Lord has put in my heart. And that was wrong on my part. Will you please forgive me? There needs to be a retreating back to the place where you begin to show respect for your wife and loving attention to your wife and care for that wife where she knows that your intentions are for the very best for you and for the whole family, not just for you. And then begin to walk consistently before them and say, Honey, pray for me that the Lord will give me wisdom. Help me to make the, help, ask that the Lord will help me to make the right decision. And try to support me in these things. Let's talk these things through. And I want to share with you the convictions the Lord put in my heart and why He's put them there. And when you and I come into agreement about it, then we'll stand together in this thing. You see, it's one thing to come in and say, I'm the head of the house and whatever I say is the way it's going to be. I've got news for you, buddy. I've got news for you. You're in trouble. You see, even Jesus says we're to follow him. He doesn't grab us by the nap of the neck and say, you will come. He says, follow me. 
All submission is voluntary. And when you and I learn to trust the Lord, then we can follow Him. And when your wife learns to trust you, she can follow you. There has to be that willingness to be consistent every day. And when you fail, say, honey, I blew it. Will you please forgive me? I've asked the Lord for forgiveness, but I'm learning. I'm trying my best. I want to be the man that God wants me to be in my home. And only you can determine that for yourself. And then be scriptural. I've had people say, well, my wife won't follow me. And I mean to tell you, they're ricocheting off the walls. One minute they're saying one thing, and the next minute they're changing because it doesn't fit their mode. And, and it's always, I'm going to say the scripture verse that's going to fit my situation the way I want it right now. I, you can't fool your wife and your kids. They know whether you're a, a, a phony or not right quick. Be consistent, but be scriptural in everything you do. And then teach them the biblical principles as God teaches them to you and bring them into an understanding of it and say, honey, as I'm submitting to the Lord, can you trust the Lord to submit to me? Children, God's given me a responsibility to raise you in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Will you be willing to trust God to give me the wisdom to know how to raise you in the fear and admonition of the Lord? And if I blow it, I'll try my best to come and tell you, I really missed it here. Will you please forgive me? I want to tell you something. Many, 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 many times in my life I've had to go to my children and say, will you please forgive me? I missed it. That does not make them lose faith in you. It makes them realize that you have feet of clay also, but you really want to do God's will. It does not mean you've got to be Mr. Perfect. It means you have a heart after the things of God, and when you miss it, you're the first to admit it and to walk on in obedience to the Lord. But don't capitulate, men. God wants you to realize that you, He expects you to be responsible and at any cost you must bring your family to that understanding and by consistency and love and respect toward them that they will learn to follow after you. Now, I'm, I'm, I know that God is serious about this. Look back with me, if you will, in Numbers. The book of Numbers, chapter 30. Numbers is just before Deuteronomy. Young people and wives, I want you to see how important it is in God's sight for you to recognize spiritual authority on the part of the fathers. Numbers chapter 30, And Moses spake unto the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord hath suggested. Oh, okay. Now we've got authority, haven't we? This is what the Lord commanded. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord and or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. So he says, if you don't mean it, don't say it. Rule number one. If a woman also vows a vow unto the Lord and bind herself by a bond, being in her father's house in her youth, a young girl, and her father hear her vow and her bond wherewith she hath bound her soul, and her father shall hold his peace at her, then all her vows shall stand, and every bond wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand. You see the authority God gives to the father in the home? If you make a promise to the Lord and your father hears about it and says, Honey, that's a foolish promise to the Lord. No, I, I, before the Lord, you are not going to have to hold that one up. I, I refuse to allow you to be bound by that one. The Lord hears that and they're released from that vow. You talk about authority? God says the fathers have that authority within the home. But if her father disallow her in the day that he heareth not any of her vows or of her bonds wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand and the Lord shall forgive her because her father disallowed her. And if she had at all an husband when she vowed or uttered aught out of her lips wherewith she bound her soul and her husband heard it and held his peace at her in the day that he heard it 
then her vows shall stand, and her bonds wherewith she, her, she bound her soul shall stand. But if her husband disallowed her on the day that he heard it, then he shall make her vow which she vowed, and that which she uttered with her lips, wherewith she bound her soul of none effect, and the Lord shall forgive her. Now I've heard in the past where a woman says, I'm sorry, honey, I've got to do it because I told the Lord I would do it. And he said, well, I really don't think you should do that. Well, I've already told the Lord, so I'm going to have to do it now. They don't understand biblical principles. If the Lord, the husband, the first time he hears it says, no, no, you will not be bound to that one. I claim forgiveness in the name of the Lord and you will not be bound to that. You don't have to keep that one. God says the father has the, the, or the husband has the authority to release that woman from that pledge. But every vow of a widow and of her that is divorced, wherewith they have bound their soul shall stand against her. And if she vowed in her husband's house or bound her soul by a bond with an oath, and her husband heard it and held his peace at her, and disallowed her not, and all her vows shall stand, and every bond wherewith she bound her soul shall stand. But if her husband hath utterly made them void on the day he heard them, then whatsoever proceedeth out of her lips concerning her vows or concerning the bond of her soul shall not stand. Her husband hath made them void, and the Lord shall forgive her. Every vow, vow and every binding oath to afflict the soul, her husband may establish it, or her husband may void, make it void. Some of you didn't know that your husband had authority with God in that area, did you? But if her husband altogether hold his peace from her from day to day, then he establisheth all her vows or all her bonds which are upon her, and he confirmeth them, because he held his peace at her in the day that he heard them. But if any shall any ways make them void after that he heard them, then he shall bear her, her iniquity." These are the statutes which the Lord commanded Moses between a man and his wife, between the father and his daughter, being yet in her youth in her father's house. So the father can either confirm them or he can break them by after he has heard it. You say, boy, the price for all this, Pastor, and the cost of having to be responsible for all this is too high. Let me tell you something. You don't know high price until you realize the, what the alternative is. If you and I are not willing as fathers and husbands to take this responsibility, then we thereby are held responsible for the end result of the rebellion and the division and the disrespect. And you know, in many cases, when a man allows his wife to take control and dominate a home, they're finding that the vast majority of situations is where you find homosexuality and lesbianism to come out of the home. Because a, a young man will despise his father because he does not take the position that God has given to him. There are young women, when they see the husband or the father does not hold the high standards of morality and he likes sensual material and pornography and so forth, those young women go out to become prostitutes in the days ahead because whatever their fathers hold as something that's important to them, the daughters many times will respond in like kind. By the way, I want to tell you something. Listen to me, dads. Children blame their fathers for their failure, not their mothers. Let me say that again. Children will blame their fathers for their failure and not their mothers. Recently, a prison ministry was given 500 Mother's Day cards to take into the prison to hand out. They gave out all 500 of them. The men wanted cards to write to their mothers on Mother's Day. They thought, well, that was such a success. Hallmark cards gave them 500 Father's Day cards, and they took them into the prison. They didn't want to take one card from them. They wouldn't send one card to their fathers. Think about it. See, God has placed within them the understanding 
that he holds dads responsible for the outcome of their children in the days ahead. Children, fathers, raise up your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, the Word of God says. That just, that just devastated me. Children, by, by, by the very spirit within them, know where the authority should have been. I've had young people that have been in, in courts that have turned to their parents and say, why didn't you stop me? Children want to be directed by a strong father before God. Let me just quickly run down through some scripture verses. You can write these down if you want to. Maybe we can use our heavenly father as an example of how to have a father and child relationship within your home. First of all, the word of God tells me in Psalm 103, verse 13 and 14, that the Lord pities his children. Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him, for he knoweth our frame, he remembers that we are dust. And may I just encourage you, fathers, to realize you want your children to do right, but you must also understand their limitations, their, their, how, what, their, what the level their abilities might be at, and give them room to fail. Pity them. You know, it's one thing to be uh, stern and harsh with your children, but it has to also be in a loving way. I can remember how Jeff used to want to do, I'll do that, Daddy, and I knew it was beyond his ability. And I said, well, honey, I don't think you can do it. Oh, yes, I can do that. And I said, well, go ahead and try. And he'd go, <clears throat> and so a lot of times I'd walk over, let's do it together. And I'd lift up, that's a boy, let's do it together. You know, I, I recognize that he has limitations. I had limitations, but he had a willingness to do things. And you and I have to pity and realize that they want to grow up so quickly, but they always need us there to help them in case they fail, to say, that's all right. In the days ahead, you will do better. Secondly, we must correct in love. Look at Proverbs, the third chapter. You know, many times if we have been treated harshly when we were children, that's the only way we know to do it, but that isn't what the Word of God tells us concerning our Heavenly Father. We're to correct them in love. Proverbs, the third chapter, and verses 11 and the first part of verse 12. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he, uh, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. The Word of God says that it is important for you and me to correct our children, to chasten our children from time to time, but we're to do it in love. We must explain to them what the parameters are, what the boundaries are, and these are the consequences if you do this or if you do that. Now, I love you dearly, and I'm telling you ahead of time that I'm, I'm responsible for your future conduct, so if this happens, then I will have to correct you. I don't want to, but I will. And after you're through correcting them, be able to call them to the side and say, I still love you very much. Do you understand that? Do you understand I have a responsibility before God? And that I want to see you be the man or the woman that God wants you to be in the days ahead? Now come here, I'm going to pray with you. And you hold them and you pray for them. And just ask God to put it within their heart, this understanding of His purposes for their life. So important for us to understand this. In Proverbs, the 13th chapter, and verse 24. Proverbs 13, 24, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. The word there means that he does it diligently, consistently, tirelessly, and patiently. He will not let up until that lesson is learned. But the Scripture says here very carefully that those who say, well, I just love my children so much I can't spank them, that's a cop-out. The Word of God says if you really love them, you will chase them, you will correct them because you will not want them to go off in the direction that's 
wrong for them to go. Children, if you'll remember that, God has given to the dad the responsibility. And if they don't do it, they'll have to answer to God for it. Thirdly, pour out your life. Not just for them, but pour your lives into your children. John, 1 John 3.16 is the key verse for that. 1 John 3.16. And as you know, I am holding myself back so hard this morning because I could preach a series on each one of these. 1 John 3.16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. There are many people today that don't like to have children around because it spoils and messes up their schedule. Well, God says that children are a gift from the Lord and we are to change our schedule to where we pour our lives into them because we're going to influence and affect the generations to come. It behooves us to set aside for those few years our schedule and our program and to pour our lives into them to be there for their needs so that they can receive the instructions that they need so that they can meet life's needs as they grow up. I would encourage you, whatever you do, to set as a priority training up your children in love and pouring your life and your talents and your gifts and your abilities and your standards and your principles and all these things into them on a daily moment, moment. When you rise up in the morning, when you sit down to eat, when you walk in the way, when you lie down to go to bed at night, impress upon their hearts the laws and commandments of the Lord, the Scripture says, unselfishly, sacrificially, not, well, I'm going to have to do it. It looks like, you see, you don't realize what you're dealing with. You're dealing with the only possession on earth that you can take to heaven with you. It's an eternal thing. Everything else you'll leave behind. I don't care what kind of house or what kind of talents or abilities or skills you may have. If you lose your children, you failed in God's sight. Fourthly, forgive them. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is one thing to correct your children, but once you have done it, put it behind you. You know, children look at me sometimes in, in unbelief, or just disbelief, when they do something wrongly, and I say, that's not going to be put up with here. I'm not going to put up with that. And I correct them. I, I get after them. And they straighten out. And I say, okay, love you. And they'll, they'll come back the next time, and they'll look at me like, are you still after me? And I say, come here. I sure love you. And they look like, well, what happened to, what happened a while ago? It's gone. It's pat. I mean, thank God when I get up in the morning, I don't have to say, Lord, I don't know what you're thinking about what I told you I was sorry for two or three days ago. It's under the blood. It's to be forgotten. And that's why I tell parents, when, some, when your children do something, don't hang it over their head and say, well, in two or three days, I'll tell you what I'm going to do to you. In a week or so, I'll let you know what I think about this. Or uh, I'm going to let this hang over you for six months or something. Deal with it. Put it behind and say, now let's go on. But make it costly enough so they don't want to go through that process again. But then forget it. Jesus says we're to forgive 70 times 7. Next, take time to know and understand your children. Matthew, the 6th chapter. Matthew chapter 6, verse 32. Let me read verse 31 with it. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now get this. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Parents, Dads, you need to know your children's needs. I didn't say their wants. 
their needs. You should observe your children and find out where their interests lie, what their goals are, what, they, what, they, what really excites them, and begin to ask the Lord to show you how you can direct those interests into the things of God. I see some parents many times, many fathers, that will try to live their lives out through their children. I never could do this, and I was never able to do this, but boy, my child's going to do that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where you don't try to mold them to be what you wanted to be. I'm talking about you find out their own individual personalities, their gifts, their bent, their talents, their interests, and you channel those things into serving the Lord. You know, it's hard for a guy that's six foot five and 280 pounds, and he's been nothing but, you know, athletic all of his life, and he has a son who's interested in playing a piano or a violin. But maybe God called that child to play a violin just to teach you that there are other things in life that are important. But our Heavenly Father knows what we have need of, and God says, watch your children. Talk to your children. Get them to express back to you. When they do things in school, they bring it home to you, look at it and, say, and ask them questions about it. What do you like about this? What, is it, what are you really interested in? If, you did, if nothing else mattered and you could really do it, what would you really like to do? Nextly, give good productive, profitable, constructive things to them. And don't be selfish. Matthew 7, 11 says, If ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, you see even unbelievers can give good gifts to their children. It says, How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? There's the element here that we must understand what is good and productive and profitable and constructive for our children and see to it that somehow we'll provide it for them. I'm not talking about we have to have so many games in their room that we can't even walk through the room. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things that will produce in them godly character. I'm talking about things in them that will produce an honesty and an integrity and a strength there. I'm talking about things in their lives that will teach them how to be productive citizens in the days ahead, how to be able to go out and do things and do it properly and do it in a way that you never have to be ashamed of them. And lastly, molding your children. Isaiah 64, 8. So, but now, O Lord, Thou art our Father, we are the clay, and Thou the potter, and we are the work of Thy hands. I want to tell you something, fathers, whether we like it or not, God says that you and I are the potters of our children. We mold, we develop, we bend them, we show them, we lead them, we direct them. And we're going to do it, by the way, we're going to do it one way or another. We are, the, we are the potter, they are the clay, and whatever, however they come out, we are going to be held responsible before God for it. Because the Scripture says clearly, whatever we sow, we reap, and that the sins of the fathers will be passed on to the third and fourth generation. But thank God it also says that the righteousness, the seed of the righteous will go on to a hundred generations. Let me read this. Unknown author has penned a few thought-provoking lines. It says, a careful man I ought to be, a little child follows me. I do not dare to go astray for fear they'll go the selfsame way. Not once can I escape their eyes. Whate'er they see me do, they try. Like me, they say they're going to be that little one who follows me. I must remember as I go through summer sun and winter snow, I'm molding for the years to be that little one who follows me. I believe if you'll follow these biblical principles I've given to you this morning, that you'll be able to turn the hearts of your children to you. How I thank God 
that my children have loved the Lord, and even though I have failed over and over and over again, they still have respect for what we believe because we started very young and tried to be consistent, even though we failed. And God wants to establish strong homes, and these principles will allow us to have it. Dads, be real. Be real and consistent in your walk before God, and when you fail, admit it. But keep calling your family together and say, let's be what God wants us to be. And when I miss it, I'll be able to accept it from you. If you say, I've missed it, I'll pray with you and I want you to pray with me too. I want to be that man of God you want me to be. God will honor us for it. I really believe that.